0: Genesis chapter 30, verse 25, a brilliant story. As soon as Rachel had born Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, send me away that I may go to my own home and country. Give me my wives and my children for whom I have served you, that I may go, for you know the service that I've given you. But Laban said to him, If I have found favor in your sight, I have learned by divination that Yahweh has blessed me because of you. Name your wages, and I'll give it. Jacob said to him, You yourself know how I have served you and how your livestock has fared with me. For you had little before I came, and it has increased abundantly. And Yahweh has blessed you wherever I turned. But now, when shall I provide for my own household also? He said, what shall I give you? Jacob said, you shall not give me anything. If you will do this for me, I will again pasture your flock and keep it. Let me pass through all your flock today, removing from it every speckled and spotted sheep and every black lamb, and the spotted and speckled among the goats, and they shall be my wages. So my honesty will answer for me later, when you come to look into my wages with you. Everyone that's not speckled and spotted among the goats and black among the lambs, if found with me, shall be counted stolen. Laban said, good. Good. Let it be as you have said, but that day Laban removed the male goats that were striped and spotted and all the female goats that were speckled and spotted and everyone that had white on it and every lamb that was black and put them in charge of his sons and set a distance of three days journey between himself and Jacob and Jacob pastored the rest of Laban's flock. Jesus, thanks for this beautiful day. I pray that any in here who may feel like a Jacob, having been cheated or misused or wronged, that we would learn your way forward. So would you speak, may we hear, and I ask this in your name, amen. So, let me begin by asking this question. Have you ever, because of some thing in your past, thought in your mind about that event and thought, oh, what if this had happened instead? Anybody? Yeah. If only the coach had put me in on the fourth and one, I would have scored a touchdown and I'd play in the NFL today, right? We all have those moments that in our minds we go back to and we think, what if we would have done that? Things would be so different today. We all have those. It might be an investment. If only I had invested in that, life would be awesome. There's a website that actually allows you to check out your idea. So I did. It lets you say, Instead of buying this company's product, what if you took that same amount of money and invested it in that company, how much would you be worth today? So Apple. If in 1984, when the Macintosh came out, instead of buying the Macintosh, if you took the $2,000 and invested it into Apple, you'd be a millionaire today. The better one is Tesla. So Tesla, just five years ago, 2012, if instead of buying the Model S that came out that year, you invested $57,000 in a Tesla, you'd have 600 grand right now. There's another one I liked. I did BlackBerry. Remember the BlackBerry? The original smartphone with the buttons on it. They, they called it CrackBerry because people got so addicted to it. People had thumb problems from it. Um, in 2007, they were ripping. So if you bought a phone, it was 500 bucks. If you took that 500 bucks, and invested it in BlackBerry in 2007 today, that money would be worth $65. <laughs> Not a good investment. So we can do that about old stuff, like just, oh man, maybe it's a relationship. Or maybe that even the day of, you, you have some kind of a blow up with somebody, there's an argument, you go home, you're laying in bed and your mind is just spinning that conversation. You ever do that? They said this, and then I said this, and then I said that. I should have said that. Oh, that's the perfect comeback. And you're like, oh, I want that conversation again. If only I'd said that, I would have dusted him. We all have that in us, right? In fact, there's, it's so prevalent, there's a movie series based on it. You know what it's called? Back to the Future. Isn't that the whole plot of the movie, Right? Marty McFly living a miserable life, having a buff and wax. Biff's car and his, just his parents are just dysfunctional and their house is dysfunctional and Biff just uses them. It's, like, it's terrible, right? So Marty McFly goes back in time, sees his dad. The reason why his dad gets married to his mom is out of pity and he's like, oh man, what a bummer. And instead of that happening, George McFly, the dad, finds his courage and punches out Biff. And then when Marty comes back, to the future, his life is perfect, right? He's got the black 4x4 Toyota brand new. He's got the girlfriend. His mom and dad are super cool people. His dad's like an accomplished author. And guess who's washing his car? Biff. It's like, yeah, that's exactly what we want. And that's in all of us. Like, I like that plot so much. I rented the movie like five years ago. And I wanted my kids to watch it. I don't want to talk about that tendency in us. And we rented it on Amazon. And I didn't remember this part of the first five minutes. It just says, uses the Lord's name so many times in vain. Our kids were little. I just, oh, we can't do this. So I just shut it off. And what what's classic is Amazon refunded me the money. I called it their sin offering. <laughs> <laughs> People do this so often, science has a term for it. You know what it's called? Ruminating. Do you know what ruminating is? It's what a cow does after it eats grass. It barfs it back up, re-chews it, and so that's called ruminating. So when science looks at our tendency to look back at these past events and be like, oh, it says you're eating your puke. That's what science says because it's so unhealthy for us. People that ruminate too often, here's what happens. Your brain catalogs thoughts together. So all you're like, oh, that was stupid. Oh, that was stupid. Oh, why did I do that? Oh, I blew it there. All those memories are in the same folder. So when your brain opens that folder and starts thinking about that one memory, guess what happens next? You then think about the next memory. And then the next memory, like, oh, that was stupid. Oh, that was stupid. Oh, that was a moron. Oh, I am a moron. And you just get greatly depressed. And people that ruminate too often, what they find is they're much more likely to be users of alcohol, like abusive of alcohol, alcoholics. Um, they have mental problems. They have anxiety. Their, their, their brain is actually releasing these chemicals into their body that's killing them. It's super, super bad. And yet everyone does it. So what in the world do we do about it? How do we stop this crazy thing that all of us do? Well, welcome to our story. You have Jacob, who was not a good dude, right? He cheated and lied about uh, who he was to his dad and stole from Esau. He's not a good dude. Gets kicked out of the home, goes 500 miles away, moves in with his uncle Laban, who I call Uncle Rico from Napoleon Dynamite. Just a terrible dude. And Laban is a cheat of all cheats. Like he cheats Jacob over and over again. First he goes, hey, I really like your daughter, Rachel. Can I marry her? And Laban's like, sure, work for me for seven years. After seven years is up. He's like, okay, let's do it. And on the night of the wedding, there's a switch. Instead of Rachel, the beautiful Rachel, it's the not beautiful Leah who's there. He's like, ah. And then today, our story. Jacob's like, I'm done with this guy. He's been cheating me. Chapter 31, he'll say, you changed my wage 10 times. I can't work for this guy anymore. I'm out of here. And then Laban's like, please don't leave. Because when you're around, it's like money's just falling into my lap. Please don't leave. Stay here. What can I pay you? So Jacob's like, okay, here's the deal. All the nasty, gross sheep and lambs, I'll take those. That'll be my payment. And so Laban's like, deal. And then what does he do immediately? Takes all the nasty, gross sheep and lambs and moves them away and gives them to his sons. So when Jacob comes back to the flock to find what was his, there's nothing there, right? If anyone has a reason to ruminate and be paralyzed by it. It's Jacob, the Esau affair. Oh, man. I should have never listened to my mom on that one. I mean, I was 40 years old. I was almost a full-grown man. I shouldn't have listened to her. (laughs) Leah, oh. I should have questioned Laban about the customs of this place. I should have just lifted up the veil. You know, man, like, ah, ah. I should have lit a candle at night. You know, it's, it's like romantic. I'm like, ah, wrong one. <laughs> I didn't do any of those things. And then in our story today, we should have done the deal right. I should have walked with Laban over the flocks right then and divided him up right then because I knew he's a cheat. If anyone could ruminate and just be polluted and devastated by the way life had gone, it's our buddy, Jacob, 20 years, he's going to be with this phenomenal cheater who always seems to get the upper hand. Jacob always seems to be on the losing side of it, over and over and over again. And I want you to remember, Genesis was not written to us. We enjoy it and we learn from it. It was actually written to a group of slaves who had just escaped from a guy named Pharaoh who made Laban look like a rookie stole their lives from them, enslaved them, forced them to work for him, killed their babies. A really bad dude. So they would be reading this story and they would see in Laban a little mini Pharaoh and they would ask the same kind of questions like, God, what are you doing about cheats like Laban? Because he's succeeding, right? We saw at the beginning of this chapter or the text I read that Laban's like, dude, I'm growing rich. I've been cheating you for 14 years and it's, it's made me a lot of money. So he seems like he's getting away with it. And so the question is, God, what are you going to do about these situations? What do we do? How do we break out of ruminating? Well, check out what God does. It's brilliant. Verse 37. Then Jacob took fresh sticks of poplar and almond and plane trees, And peeled white streaks in them, exposing the white of the sticks. So he peels off some pieces of the bark. So they're like black and white. He set the sticks that he had peeled in front of the flocks in the trough. That is the watering places where the flocks came to drink. And since they bred when they came to drink, the flocks bred in front of the sticks And so the flocks brought forth, striped, speckled, and spotted. You should be saying right now, what? What? He makes these crazy sticks, and then the lambs look crazy like the sticks? What? The Bible, oh, man. So primitive. Oh, man. How can you guys believe that? Okay. Let me poke at you for one minute on this, maybe five minutes. We're city folk. We are disconnected from animals. Very few of us have any kind of understanding that would have been for generations, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, generations of animals raising them, breeding them, see what happens after, you know, this dad has this many kids, just watching what happens after year after year after year, generation after generation, each person would. They were so intimately connected. Every part of the economy was connected to them. The food they ate, the clothes they wear, the money that they had, all from an animal, right? That was connected. So their flocks is like the way that we're connected now to our iPhones. Like, you just can't live without them. It's like that. Everything depended on them, so they have this dependence. They've been watching that, and I think the ancients knew something that we're just now rediscovering because of our disconnection. Right? So, who in here? Just let me ask this question: Who in here has ever bred goats for a living? Yeah. Okay. We're disconnected. If you ask that question thirty eight hundred years ago, everybody's raising their hand. Yeah, we're all we all do that totally. Okay, so. I think they realized something that we're now rediscovering, that actually the conditions of the parents at conception changes the genetics of the children. Did you know that? That it's not just this zygote thing that happens. It's actually, there's this thing that goes over the top of it, and it's called, you can Google if you want, epigenetics. Epi means over that there's this thing that we're just now trying to figure out what it is. We don't even know what it is as much. We know it's there, though, that the epigenetics, this over thing, over our DNA, actually determines a lot of what the offspring are like. Okay, so I'll give you an article. It's in Nature Magazine. Nature Magazine is not a Christian magazine. In fact, it has a very anti-supernatural, anti-God bend to it. It's, I read it so I know I'm not just backing up my bias. In that magazine, they have an article, it's called, in, uh, it's called uh, The Sins of the Father, which is a very Christian term. And in The Sins of the Father, here's what, they, here's what they talk about, and it's with humans, not goats. They found this, a dad, like me, like those in here that are fathers, a dad who right before conception is unhealthy. Taco Bell, he's McDonald's, he's not working out, he's just lazy, slothful, dad. If he has a child, there is a gene that gets changed, how it is used. That gene is changed so that the child is actually very predisposed. he's possessed, (laughs) I mean, (laughs) predisposed, he's predisposed to being slothful obese, and having a very different way of taking insulin in. That same dad works out healthy, eating kale, eating broccoli, doing everything right. That child, very different disposition. Is that crazy or what? Right? So if you've got junk in your trunk, blame your dad. Ruminate on that. Dad, I hate you. Right? I mean, that's crazy. That's epigenetics. So it might be very possible that shepherds kind of knew this stuff because they'd been seeing generations and generations of these flocks being born, and they just kind of, they saw that. Oh, yeah, we know that. So wait a second, Matt. Are you saying now that the fact that the goats and lambs were looking at these speckled, peeled, striped sticks made their offspring speckled and striped? Are you saying that? Because I'm a little worried right now. My wife is pregnant and I've been really very interested in chickens. <laughs> Am I having a chicken, right? I mean, what does this really mean? Okay. I I say that because we have a tendency in the 21st century to always look back on ancient people like they were morons. C.S. Lewis calls it chronological snobbery. That somehow we believe because we're in the 21st century those people are oh, either idiots, they don't have a clue. No way. They were so much more connected with things that we are disconnected from. They have so much more knowledge on those things. You transport any one of us back 3,800 years and drop us in the desert, in five days we're dead. Because we don't have the knowledge. You take one of those people from 3,800 years and you put them today, they're gonna live, they're gonna be freaked out, but they're still gonna be alive. Right? So just don't do that. That's, that's the thing I'm poking at. Don't be a, a snob like that. Like they were brilliant on things that we're clueless on. But here's what I actually believe happened. I think Jacob is putting out a red herring. Do you know what a red herring is? It's this. It's something, it's politicians do it all the time. They're asked a very direct question and then they switch conversation over here, right? They try to get you distracted from the real thing over here on a sideline so you don't have to actually pay attention to the real question. It's a red herring. Politicians do it, writers do it, everyone does it. Oh, I don't like that, so I'm gonna give you a red herring. Distract you from what's really true. Kids are professional red herrings, aren't they? especially when you're trying to put them to bed. They have a PhD in red herring. And my daughter, Carissa, 4.0 PhD in it. So I'll give you an example. She's three years old. I have read to her. We sang songs together, prayed for her, tucked her into her bed. I'm trying now to leave. And she's like, dad, dad, um, dad. And she's looking around the room like to find, what can I talk to dad about? Dad, why do we have a uh, window in this room? Because I wanted one, go to bed. Oh, no, 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 dad, 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 dad. And she did this to me. She goes, dad, could you please tell me about Jesus? I'm like, ah. So I said, no. Then she came back. She said, you never tell me about Jesus. I was like, ah, what? (laughs) Okay, propitiation, redemption, sanctification. She went right to sleep. (sighs) Right? That's a red herring. I don't want want you to know about this. So I'm going to divert you over here. I think that's what Jacob's doing. I think Jacob knew Laban was going to be sending spies over. They're like looking to the bushes. He's like, what is he doing? Oh, my goodness. Laban's like, let's do that over here, just to trip out Laban. Because in chapter 31, and we'll get there, Jacob says this, I had this dream, and God was going to prosper me. It's not all my little thing over here. Part of it works, the stronger with the weaker, no doubt. But this is just a distraction. God is the one who is going to prosper do this for me. He already knew that in a dream. So everything else was a red herring. Now here's the end of his story. Cheater, 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 cheater. Here's the end of the story for Jacob in this chapter. Look at verse 43. Thus the man, Jacob, increased greatly, and he had large flocks, female servants, male servants, and camels. Here's what a camel was back in this time. They were super rare. It was this. He had a Ferrari. Like this was a status symbol. He had a Ferrari, a 1962 250 GT, $48 million Ferrari. That's what he has, right? Man, he's got it. And then he's got a donkey. He's got a Ford too. This is his daily driver. Right? That's really what it's saying. <laughs> it's awesome. He's arrived. In chapter 31, we'll find it was God that helped them to arrive, okay? So two little lessons on this. The first one is a massive problem that we're scratching at right here. And theologians call it the problem of evil. You've got Laban, who's evil, who's a cheater, who's a liar, who's a bad guy. And we learn from this story Man, he succeeded. He was, had nothing before he started cheating Jacob. He starts cheating Jacob, and now he's got this massive wealth. Man, that's just not fair. It's not right. The slaves who would be reading this would be thinking about Pharaoh who'd, who'd also done the same thing to them. It's just not right, God. Pharaoh who made Laban look like a rookie, and we collectively as a nation, this week we're thinking the same thing about Las Vegas. God, why? Why does that event happen? This cheater that has cheated us out of celebration and joy. People don't want to go to concerts now. Well, I don't know about going to concert anymore. Cheated literally fifty-eight people out of their life, five hundred out of health, and so collectively we're like, God, why? It's called the problem of people. Well, why does this happen? Why are there Labans and Pharaohs and Las Vegas? Why? Well, this could be a week of Sundays. So I'm gonna give you the quick answer to it in my humble view. Number one, you have to know this. You and I, the imago Dei, image bearers of God, we have been given the dignity of freedom of choice. So God looks at Adam and even says, hey, you can choose me or you can choose that tree. Freedom of choice, chapter one. Animals are very different. Animals are driven by instinct. You put an animal in a similar situation, he's always going to do the same thing because it's instinct driven. You and I are not. And so I believe this. God, when he looked at all the kinds of worlds he could create, God decided the best kind of world is a world populated with image bearers who have freedom of choice. That's the best kind of world. Even though it opens up the possibility that some people will choose to love and protect And bless, but others will choose to kill and destroy and cheat and steal. It's still the best kind of world. And God rarely violates in Imago days freedom of choice. So God does not do this to me. I can stand up here and use my voice to bless and encourage and uplift and tell the truth, but I can also use my voice to lie and to cheat and to gossip and slander people. And God does not do this. He's not like, okay, I'm talking along. Oh, man, you would not believe that. More, You know, Darth Vader, ah, okay, I I won't say it. God doesn't do that. He allows me the choice to do that. Just like he allows other people those same choices to hurt and to harm. And God said, this is the best kind of world where it's populated by those types of creatures. So that's number one to me. There's freedom of choice. And people can choose... Really evil things, right? That's number one. So the next question that usually follows on that is this. Well, if God is so powerful, why doesn't he just rid the world of evil then? Just get rid of it all. My next question to that person is always this. If God got rid of all the evil in the world, every little bit of evil, what would happen to you? Where are you going to be? Is there a little bit of evil in you? Are you gone too? Jesus, I think, began to scratch this, how evil we really are in the Sermon on the Mount, where he says this. He says, hey, listen, if you have ever been angry at a person without a cause, you've murdered them. You ever been angry at somebody and later on you found out that you were wrong about that person? Anybody? Okay. We're all mass murderers. That's what we are. I watch a beaver game and I become a mass murderer in three hours. I'm angry at everything. All right? So Jesus is saying, look out. And then he he goes one step further. He's like, okay, guys, you think you're so holy with your robes and everything? Listen, listen. If you have lusted after a woman in your heart, you've already committed adultery. You know what the sentence was, the penalty was for adultery in the Bible? It's death penalty, dead. Imagine if God still kept that penalty today. Imagine what would happen, right? Beautiful woman just goes walking down the aisle at church. Just men are dropping dead. Boom, boom, boom. Hey, I knew what was in your heart, bro. (laughs) Okay, all right. I know what you were thinking. Am I dead up here? Like, it's unbelievable. So Jesus is saying there's evil and it's prevalent. So if he was to get rid of all the evil, man, there's no one left. So here's our hope. Our hope is not in that. Our hope is in what's called redemption. And that's the story from Genesis 3 to Revelation 20. But eventually Revelation 20 is coming where Jesus grabs everything that is evil and he wraps it up and he throws it in this place called the lake of fire where it's gone forever. Well, Matt, why doesn't he do that right now? What's he waiting for? Do you have anyone you love that's not a follower of Jesus yet? I do. That's why he waits. It's 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. God is not willing that any should perish and all should come to repentance. So he is long-suffering so that everyone can have opportunity to believe in Jesus. So my third point is this. What do we do then? We live in this, this tension between, right, Calvary and Revelation 20. What do we do in the middle? How do we live in this world? And so I explained this a couple of weeks ago to a guy and I said, I think you can find the solution if you look at the book of Genesis, the book of beginnings, and you look at Revelation, the book of endings, because I think it gives us the whole story. So in the book of Genesis, you have after Genesis three, you have an explosion of evil. It's just, it just, it expands. The kingdom of darkness just goes, it just goes nuclear, right? I'll give you an example from chapter four, just Two pages in in my Bible. Here's how evil things have become. There's a guy named Lamech. Remember him? I called him Lamo. Here's Lamech. Here's what he does. He's just barely removed from the garden. Here's how evil he is. Lamech said to his wives, plural, he's a polygamist, already going against God. He's grabbing a harem of women to him. Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, Hear my voice, you wives of Lamech. Listen to what I say. Husbands, can you imagine talking to your wife that way? Charity, hear my voice, you wife of Matt. Hear what I say. What? What's my day going to look like if I do that? It's not going to be a fun day in the Heavenly home. Like it's, the guy is so arrogant. Here's what he wants to tell them. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is 77-fold. is what he just said. Man, I was in the marketplace. This punk kid bumped me, so I cut his throat off. And if his parents want to come after me and get me, I'll kill 77 of them. Right? That's what he just said. That's this kingdom that got released in Genesis 3, unbridled violence, that you meet someone's violence with more violence. If they cheated me a little bit, I'm going to cheat them a lot. If they poked out one eye, I'm poking out two eyes. It's just, it's just expanding. And that's in every single one of us, that kingdom. So that's the lame kingdom The way that I meet cheats, the way that I meet evil is to be worse than that evil is, Right? Okay, so then that's really, the reverberations of that kingdom is all throughout the Bible. So people read the Bible like, man, the Bible's really bad. Yeah, totally, because humans are. It's the story of us. So we're really bad, right? So Revelation comes, and you've got this, this thing in Revelation that I think distracts us from what it's really trying to say. So too often people are like, is this the USSR? Oh, they don't exist anymore. Is this Russia? Right? This is a Black Hawk helicopter. No, is this, and so we get so stuck in like the trees that we actually miss the broad message of Revelation, which is the way that Jesus is going to deal with evil. That's really what the book of Revelation is about. So here's what you get. You get these word pictures of it. The first one is Revelation chapter five, where John the Revelator, he's up in heaven. He's seen this heavenly scene. It's really brilliant and awesome. And then there's this scroll, And it's stamped and it's sealed and it's beautiful. And it's the plan to do in the kingdom of Lamech, the kingdom of darkness. It's that plan. And so the whole host of heaven says, who is worthy to open the plan? Who's able to actually execute this plan? Who's going to do this? And then it says, no one was found worthy in heaven to execute this plan. And what does John do? It says he wept. He just falls on his face. He's weeping. No. We're going to be in this cycle of violence and vengeance forever. No. And then there's another voice that says, No, 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 wait. There is one worthy the lion of the tribe of Judah. And I can imagine in John's mind, he's like, Yes, a lion. Right? A lion is powerful. I'll rally behind a lion. A lion is a great, great, great name for a football team. The Detroit Lions, yeah, a lion, woohoo! And he whirls around to see the lion, and what does he see? A lamb. A lamb? You want a lion, you get a lamb. That's not a great team name. Detroit Lambs? Look out, Detroit Lambs are coming. A lion, ferocious, strong, powerful, king of the jungle. A lamb? You ever gone to a farm and been like, Man, look out for that lamb. Lamb, look, lamb. Hey, whoa, where's the gate? No, right? It's weakness, it's vulnerability. But this lamb, it's not only a weak, vulnerable lamb, it says this it had just been slain, it had its throat slit. It's a dying lamb. Even less intimidating because it's a dying lamb. Not a lion, a lamb. Because the way that the kingdom of Lamech that says, if you hurt me, I'm going to hurt you worse, is beaten. It's not with more violence. The lamb is retelling the whole story of Jesus. That Jesus came and violence entered into him and he turned the other cheek. And violence came into him and he said, Father, forgive them. It's that whole saying. The the slain lamb is, this is the way the kingdom goes forward now. This is the way the plan of evil is defeated. It's not the Lamech way, 77 times worse. It's my way. Which I will absorb, your evil. That if a man slaps you on one cheek, you turn to him your other cheek. That you bless those that persecute you. That you're not overcome of evil, but you overcome evil with good. That that's this new kingdom. That's what Jesus comes to bring. And then you just skip forward a little bit to chapter 12, where there's this. It's this crazy. There's dragon that comes out and stars, and it's just crazy, right? But right in the middle of this dragon story, there's this like, it's like almost like, ho, 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 whoa! Ho, ho, I know you're all into the dragon right now, but wait, wait, wait. Wait, the church, you and I, we overcome that dragon, Satan, by three ways. It's Revelation 12, 11, that we give the word of our testimony, what Jesus has done for us. Number two, the blood of the land that we're forgiven and cleansed and that we love not our lives even unto death. Just like Jesus did, that the way that we overcome that same evil system of Lamech is not through retribution and violence and rumination and how I'm going to get them back. It's actually the Lamb way. It's not the Lion way. It's the Lamb way that we say, "No, I'm not responding that way to you." And Jesus actually grabs that 77, that, that number 77 that Lamech says, and he redeems it. It's in Matthew 18:21. Where Peter comes and says, hey, Jesus, if a man cheats me and lies about me and steals from me and does this bad stuff to me, how many times should I forgive him? Seven times? And what does Jesus say? Not seven times. Seventy-seven times. That this kingdom of Lamech is marked by unbridled violence, but my kingdom is actually marked by unbridled forgiveness. Just like I on the cross said, Father, forgive them. You live a life of unbridled forgiveness. And that's what's gonna ultimately defeat that kingdom. And that's where you get to Revelation 20, where it's all just <laughs> thrown away. It's brilliant. So we overcome evil in a whole new kind of way the Jesus way, the Lamb way. So here's what that means for me today. When I look at our world with all its evil, I do two things I pray. And I partner. I pray to the lamb with the plan in Revelation chapter 5. I pray this. Deliver me from evil. There's really evil stuff around. There is a kingdom of darkness. There is a dragon that's over it. There is a Satan and there are demons. Deliver me from that kingdom of darkness, I pray. But then I also do Revelation 12, 11. I partner. God, Jesus, how do you want me to sabotage the kingdom of darkness? because you're the real king. You landed in disguise. You started your kingdom. and I want to join with you in sabotaging that evil, wicked kingdom. How do I partner in that? So I look at my city and I pray about foster care and I pray about the heroin, Oxycontin, pain pill problems. And I pray about families that are broken marriages that are destitute and safe families and the sexualization of our youth. And you go on and on. And I pray, deliver us from that evil. And then in the same voice, I say, how can I partner with you? How can I do Revelation 12, 11? How can I be part of the plan to push back against that evil? Because that's what I'm here to do right now. Does that make sense to you? I hope. I don't have a lot of time for it. That's all I can do. The point of this story is my last point. And here's the point. It would have been abundantly clear to Jacob and to the slaves, and I hope to make it clear to you. And here's the point. You cannot be cheated out of what God has for you no matter how evil your Laban is. You cannot be cheated out what God has for you no matter how evil the Laban is. That's what Jacob's finding. He didn't have to do battle with Laban. He had to freak out about Laban. He didn't. He just said about, okay, all right, I'm going to do this. But Matt, I've been cheated. Okay. That wasn't what God had for you. I had to learn that lesson. Way, way long ago, 16 years, 2001. Got a wife, one-year-old baby, trying to find some property found this great screaming deal, Upper River Road, three and a half acres, 25 grand. So I'm like, ah, call right on it. hey. Well, the realtor said, oh, you're a minute late. Someone just put in an offer. It's been accepted. Um, sorry. I said, well, is it a strong offer? I mean, no, 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 And the guy's like, no, it's good. I said, can I just put in a, excuse me, can I just put in a second offer? And the guy's like, no, 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 I don't want to do that. No, it's, it's gone. It's good. I'm like, okay, fine. Well, a month later, it's back on the market. That deal had fallen through. And then someone else got in before me. I was so mad. I was livid. I was just angry. Laban, you cheater. So I went and talked to a friend of mine. His name is Bill Woodhead. And he's a realtor dude and uh, real estate guy and all this kind of stuff. And I wanted some sympathy from him. I wanted him to say, dude, that's right. That's so wrong. You've been mistreated. It's horrible. Lawsuit. Let's take him out. I'm like, that's what I wanted. So I start telling Bill Woodhead this story, and he's like, "Mm, listening, listening, listening. And then when I get done, I'm like, I'm waiting for some sympathy. And he's like, Praise God. I said, What do you mean? And he goes, God decided to bless somebody other than you, Matt. I'm like, No, no, I was cheated. No, I refuse that. But it's true. And two months later, I found the property that I'm on now, and I love it much more. You can't be cheated out of what God has for you. That's what Jacob's learning here. That's what these slaves were gonna learn when they came into the promised land. You can't be cheated out of what God has for you. And too often what we do though, is we just force our will. I believe God will give you what you want. Because the psalmist says, God gave them their request because they kept asking for it, but sent leanness to their soul. Okay, fine, God says, have it. See if it makes you happy. And it happens daily, weekly in our country. You know how I know that? Because half of our marriages end in divorce. I gotta have her. I gotta have him. I hate him. I hate her. Cheater. <laughs> her. Oh, be so careful. Be so careful. This is how we're supposed to live. When I start to ruminate now, go down the what ifs, here's what I do instead. I now go through these verses. I'll give them to you. So when I'm going down Ruminate Road, I take the detour that gets me out of that. Here's the verses that I go down. Psalm 23, 6. It says this. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. As a believer, do you know what's chasing you right now? Goodness and mercy. Mercy. I think too often we run away from it. Instead of allowing God to bless us and be good to us and have mercy on us, we're so busy like getting cheaters and trying to figure out all this stuff. We run away from his mercy and his goodness. Stop. Let his mercy and goodness catch you. I go down Psalm 84, No good thing will the Lord withhold from those that do what's right. God, I'm trying to do what's right here. I'm trying to live in your kingdom. I'm trying to respond the way that you responded. Man, I trust then, no good thing will he withhold from me. I go to Romans 8, 32. It says this, if God spared not his only son, but delivered him up on my behalf, how shall he not with him give me all good things? That's what I go down. And when I do that, here's what I find happens in me. I find Isaiah 26, three happens, that you're kept in perfect peace when your mind is stayed on him. I'm not ruminating and I'm not having all that kind of bad stuff happen to me. Instead, I have this shalom because I've gone down the right road. I'm thinking like Jesus. That's what I'm doing. So when we come to the table today, I believe you see the same thing in the table. This contrast. So let me read for you one final verse. I want you to listen to this because it's really interesting what Paul does here. It's like he says, there's something that happened in history that changes our perspective on everything. Okay, so listen to this. uh, Romans 8, verse 36. As it is written, Old Testament. This is the perspective of somebody in the Old Testament. Old Testament. For your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded As sheep to be slaughtered. God, don't you see this? We're being cheated. We're being lied. We're being slaughtered. God, don't you see this? That's what he quotes. Look at what Paul's response is. Verse 37 No. That was a perspective. God, we're just being slaughtered here. This is happening to us. Paul's answer is No. Not anymore. Not anymore. And this is how he goes on In all these things, in all what things? the slaughter, the cheat, the terrible things. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. That's a phenomenal text. You can just sit here and meditate on that text. It's phenomenal. Here's what it's saying. I'll give you a metaphor. Modern time. We're in football season. I'll give you a football metaphor. The wives are like, oh, please, not football at church. So if you have a favorite team, most likely, you have a evil team. The one team you cannot stand. Just the evil team that's, oh, I hate that team. Right? So if you're University of Oregon, the Ducks, it's the Huskies. Like there's this long rivalry between the Ducks and the Huskies. Just, there's a hatred there. And when they play, you can just kind of feel that hatred. Okay, if you're a Beaver fan, it's all the other 11 teams that beat you continually. So just take your pick. All right, so... You have an evil team. So your team is playing the evil team. Good versus evil. right? It's happening. Final seconds, you're behind. But all of a sudden, a running back gets the pitch and they go around the corner. And for 80 yards, they go untouched. And they score a touchdown. Who wins the game? Your team. Not the running back. He doesn't doesn't win, right? The entire team, because of that running back's play, the entire team wins. That's what Paul is saying in Romans chapter 8, 36 and 37. Okay, that's what it was before, but you don't understand. Jesus, King Jesus scored the winning touchdown on Calvary. And now no matter what, the scoreboard says you're a winner. And that evil team, they're so evil, they won't won't get off the field. They're, They're still trying to fight right? They're that kind of team. They're like, we're not getting off the field. What? Ah! And they're fighting in the midst of, but you just have to look at the scoreboard. Doesn't matter what they're doing right now. No, we won. So you're getting hit by the evil team. Ow. No, we won. Ow. No, we won. Ow. No, we won. Doesn't matter. You just keep looking at the scoreboard. We won. That's communion. That's Romans chapter 8, 36 through 7. No, 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 no. Don't look at it that way. They might still be on the field, but listen, they've been defeated. They're just staying on the field because they're evil. So when you take Communion. What you're saying is this: oh, we celebrate the fact that our hero Jesus won the game. And no matter what it looks like today, no matter if it looks like we're sheep for a slaughter, we just keep looking at the scoreboard. No, we won. No, we won. And because you do that, it changes your mindset on everything. You're able then to do Revelation twelve eleven. You're able to do that. No, it doesn't matter what they do to me. I've already won. It doesn't matter how they cheat me. I've already won. None of this matters. I've already won. That's the big story of the Bible. That's the story of the king and the kingdom that we belong to. A brilliant kingdom. We're untouchable by the forces of evil. So Jesus, as we partake in your broken body, the lamb who could have been a lion, who could have slaughtered kingdoms, and destroyed peoples. But instead, said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And may we be a group of people that have such a profound trust in your goodness and mercy that's chasing us, that we can respond in such a different way, not being doormats, not being run over, but being stronger, bolder, more courageous, and sabotaging the kingdom of darkness in the way that we daily live our lives. Help us, fill us, empower us. And I ask this in your name, amen.